Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. This year of all years that I've ever known is the year we need Christmas most, is it not? Christmas tells us that we are not alone on this planet, that the, that the horrors and the heartaches of all mankind have, a, have actually have a source of sweet comfort and consolation, a consolation that makes no earthly sense. For the source of our comfort rests not in the feeble hands of man, but in the grace and truth of the God-made man, Jesus Christ, the incarnation, eternal God who takes on flesh, God entering into human tragedy, taking on flesh for his glory and for you and for me. See, the story of Christmas, that that eternal God Almighty took on human flesh to live and to die for us, is the most shocking of all stories, the most awe-inspiring event that ever has taken place, or at least it should be. Nothing else even comes close in comparison. And so the more our hearts embrace the shock and the awe of Christmas, by the way, that's the title of this sermon, uh, the more we are brought into the very satisfying salvation story of heaven itself. And we all need this. And that's what the Christmas story calls us to do, to find our story in the story of Jesus Christ, the incarnated Son of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm in need of Christmas big time this year. This past Monday was my day off. Like all weeks, I get Mondays off, and I I try to spend a little extra time uh, meditating on Scripture. And as I did this, I found myself crying out uh, to the Lord that, that, um, that he would give me great spiritual life and vitality. I was sensing that my spiritual walk had become a little bit dry lately. I was in feeling a sense of a dry spell. And I found myself asking God that he would stir in me the joy of my salvation. Perhaps you've prayed these prayers too. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, a pastor has dry seasons? That can't be, right? But most of you know that all Christians, including pastors, go through dry seasons Only the spiritually prideful believe otherwise. Now, I woke up the next day, Tuesday morning, and I read this devotional from John Piper's um, devotional, Solid Joys. I really recommend it to it. It's an app. You can download it. It's really quick. Wake up in the morning, um, and you open it up, and you read something, and you meditate, and you pray. So in this, he too, the famous John Piper, he was crying out for what? For God to renew this proper sense of awe and majesty that that fuels the Christian life. And Piper began his devotional with these words. Oh, and by the way, Adriana, I called her later in the day, and we both had read, and she's like, that was awesome, wasn't it? All right, so here's, here's how he begins. He writes, I feel so strongly that among those of us who have grown up in the church and who can recite the great doctrines of our faith in our sleep, and yet who can yawn through the Apostles' Creed, That among us something must be done to help us once more feel the awe, the fear, the astonishment, the wonder of the Son of God, begotten by the Father from all eternity, reflecting all the glory of God, being the very image of his divine person. 
through whom all things were created, upholding the universe by the word of his power. And then he writes, you can read every fairy tale that was ever written, every mystery thriller, every ghost story, and you will never find anything so shocking, so strange, so weird and spellbinding as the story of the incarnation of the Son of God. Piper's right. There is no story, spy novel, no Iliad or Odyssey, no James Bond slash Jason Bourne thriller, no Saving Private Ryan meets Forrest Gump, heart tugger, no Schindler's List tear jerker that could ever penetrate a human soul with shock and awe as what the Christmas story brings us, this story of incarnation. And so tonight I want to open us up to, to this majesty of the incarnation, that it, that it may shock us, like maybe get some smelling salts. Does anybody use those anymore? Like when someone gets knocked out? Anyway, um, little smelling salts, little shock and awe. Because understand this, for, for it's only when the incarnation fills us with shock and awe that our lives enter into the grace and the truth and the glory that God means to give us through the gift of his son. Now, I only have a few minutes to speak on this topic. Thankfully, we have a really, really short passage. It's only one verse from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 14. And there we read these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Earlier, the Cho family lit the Christ candle on the Advent wreath, and they read from this Gospel of John, what we, this verse 14, but they read the first 13 verses as well. I don't know if you noticed this, but John begins his Gospel, and it sounds a little bit like how the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, begins. The words we read there was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John begins his gospel in similar style, but instead of God, he inserts the word word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things that were made were made in the world. Everything that's created was made by this word with a capital W. Now understand this. John was writing to Greek audience, Greek thinkers who prided themselves in their, in, in their intellect, And the Greeks would have applauded John for his choice of the word. In Greek, the word is logos. We translate it as word. People in John's day would have said, hooray for the logos with a capital L. That was God and who was was God, and it's God in the, and, and, and then, and, then uh, and we like that. The, the, Greek, the Greek philosophers in, uh, affirmed all these things about God, that God was like a spiritual being. He was not physical, and, and he was more of a principle than, than a person, more of a proposition, kind of like the force in, in Star Wars, right? And so these readers would have said, logos. Wow, that's an amazing word choice, John. Bravo, man. You have us on the edge of our seats, all the way down those first 13 verses. But then John writes something that was so utterly offensive to a Greek, educated Greek mind. In verse 14, we read these words, and the word became flesh. What? They would say, 
the word became flesh, never, never, it could never happen. See, the Greeks thought that the spiritual realm that we live in was corrupt. Only the spiritual was good. God, God could never, God would never become human. Never. It was absolutely offensive. Now, notice this. John meant to be offensive. He meant to bring some shock and awe to those Greek thinkers of his day. How so? Well, if John simply wanted to say that this logos, this word, became a human being, there was other Greek words he could have used. He could have used anthropos, which simply means a man or a human being. Could have used soma, which means body. But instead, he used the highly offensive word, sarks. It even sounds offensive, doesn't it? Sarks. It means meat, human meat, flesh. Listen, this high and lawfully pure divine logos became sarks. Imagine the collective gasping throughout Asia Minor and Athens, preposterous, outlandish, shock and awe. Listen, the incarnation is the most shocking and awe-inspiring story ever to be told, and not just then, but today too. Listen, it says God becomes flesh and blood. Now, for those who are a little bit older, when you hear the word shock and awe, no doubt it conjures up the scenes of battle. You remember that first Gulf War where the Allied troops emancipated the Kuwaiti people with this overwhelming shock and awe. Oh my gosh, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. You just got a shock and awe Kuwait, right? Just look that up. And it was amazing. Um, but here, shock and awe that come upon us is meant to do something different. It's meant to produce in us humility and happiness. In other words, if you properly respond to the incarnation, then you will be shocked and awed. You will, something like this will ring in your mind. You, you will say, this, this cannot be, but it is. How amazing. In all my years, who would have thought that God, God Almighty, would become human, like God himself? This, this cannot be, but it is. Wow. This changes everything. Everything changes. And of course, though, so many today find it offensive too. No way. If there is a God, he would never become human. That's preposterous. You Christians are whacked. I'm totally out of here, right? Now, let me show you quickly why the incarnation is not just shock and awe, but it is also for us eternal joy and hope. First, John wants us to know that, that, listen, that God has lived in our world, therefore he understands. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word translated dwelt among us is the same root word for tent, or more importantly, tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God instructed his people to construct a tent, a tabernacle, and, and when God descended into the tabernacle the first time, it was so filled with smoke and fire that Moses could not see a thing. Now, it's one thing that God manifested himself at one point in a bonfire inside of a tabernacle tent. But in the birth of Jesus, the eternal divine son of God tabernacled in human flesh. 
Amazing, right? Listen, God walked upon this earth like you and me. He hungered. He thirsted. He got tired. He experienced the absolute joy of a beautiful wedding ceremony, and he cried tears of lament for a good friend's death. He fed the hungry wherever he went. He healed the sick and raised the dead. He calmed fears. He faced treacherous opposition. He even had family members who thought he was crazy. He was rejected by most of the people he came to save. Jesus, God in the flesh, experienced all this, all, all this broken, sorrow-filled world, all that it has to offer. And he did not need to do it, right? We understand that. He came in love and suffered as you and I have suffered on this earth. So in the incarnation, we see that we're not alone. May that be a comfort to you this evening. Heaven knows the sorrows that we face firsthand. But also the incarnation, in the incarnation, we see that God has a remedy and a rescue for all who trust in his son. We see this in in the glory that John speaks of. Now, when we think of glory, we tend to think of what? I mean, we think of, we think of the things that this world we live in tends to applaud all the time, like wealth and status and bling and, and um, national acclaim, having lots of followers on Instagram or TikTok. You should see some of the stuff on TikTok, like 10 million views for some guy like doing this. I'm like, what? How is that possible? Start looking for me. I'm going to be on that thing. But we look for glory at all kinds of things, you know. We, we think glory is about those who get national acclaim, you know, or you start a Tesla car company. Glory for most of us is, is like the one who wins the Nobel Peace Prize kind of glory. But when John writes, as we have, when he writes, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, he's not speaking of a typical glory the type that causes mankind to applaud. Listen, Jesus' glory is an upside-down kind of glory, where God stoops to serve. That's glory. To associate with the lowly and the downtrodden, to take the side of widows and orphans, to bring hope to an outcast Samaritan woman sitting by a well. And oh yes, John, who wrote these very words, he was there at the well with when Jesus was there with that outcast Samaritan woman. And John and the other disciples, that didn't look like glory to them. They questioned Jesus' judgment. Remember, what are you doing here? She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. But listen, by that well, as Jesus offered himself, himself as living water, to her parched soul, glory, right? Glory is of the only Son from the Father. That's glory from a heavenly perspective. We need that here on earth. Listen, the glory of God is so counterintuitive to our fallen minds that when God displays glory, we see it as weakness. 
No wonder the mockers shouted beneath Jesus as he hung on the cross. Ha ha, he saved others. Why don't you save yourself, Jesus? So the shock and awe of the incarnation is in some ways meant to lead us to this very cross. God in the flesh who came to live so that he could die in our place for our sin, so that all who believe can come alive in him. See, listen to this. As the story of Jesus goes, by the way, he rose from the dead and he's in glory in heaven. As the story of Jesus goes, so goes our story if we but entrust ourselves to him. This is what Jesus came to do. The grace of God and the truth of God enfleshed to save us. That is what the incarnation means. Grace and truth from heaven enfleshed in the God-man Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory, not like the normal glory, but glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation is what we desperately need to impact us today and every day. Listen, grace and truth in one package. That is how you can know that this Jesus really truly is God in the flesh. Not grace at the expense of truth, nor nor truth at the expense of grace, but both commingled in one divine, glorious God-man, born of a virgin in a stench-filled stable. There is no story like it. Shakespeare doesn't compare. Neither does Steinbeck or Spielberg. The greatest story ever is truly meant to shock us and awe us more than any cinema masterpiece. So, this Christmas Eve, will you cry out for the Holy Spirit from God that, that, that he would fill us with the proper shock and awe of the incarnation? There is no greater story to captivate our souls So let us bring our lives to Christ so that we may find our story in his story. Let's pray. Boy, when it's just laid out like that, it really, it is just black and white. There really is no greater story, no more shocking truth than God Almighty becoming a human being. We must really need it, (laughs) and we do. We thank you, Jesus, that you not only um, came at this first advent, but you are coming again at a second advent, and we attach our stories to your story, the enfleshed Son of God made man to carry our sorrows and our sin so that we may have hope and joy and delight today and in the days to come and for all eternity. Amen.